Julian Hearn, the founder of Huel. Huel is a company that's very close to my heart and anybody that knows me knows how much Huel I consume. If you don't know Huel and you've been living under a rock, Huel is essentially a meal in a bottle. And because I live a sort of a very um, busy life, shall I say, I don't have much free time. So I don't spend a lot of time cooking, going to restaurants and things like that. So having a Huel in my bag at all times means that I can get all of my nutritional needs while still focusing and getting the most out of my day. I've been so impressed by Huel, so impressed. And so I was um, overwhelmed with um, excitement when I, when I found out that I'd be sitting down with Julian to understand the brand. It's a great, great product, but it's also a great, great business. In fact, it's one of the UK's fastest growing business. And I think this year they're on track to make about 45 million in revenue. And that's in their fourth year. When I look at Huel, I see so many small touches of genius. So I've been so incredibly excited to meet the man behind the brand to understand how many of those things were intentional or how many of those things were just luck. My suspicions would tell me it was the former. In this conversation, I'm not just interested in the business. I'm not just interested in the revenue. and I'm not just interested in the product. I'm interested in the entrepreneur, his personal life, his personal struggles, his personal issues, his personal relationships. And I think he reveals some things that even caught me by surprise. And I have no doubt, no doubt that this conversation will catch you by surprise too. Without further ado, this is Stephen Bartlett and this is Diary of a CEO. And today I'm joined by Julian Hearn. I hope nobody's listening, but if you are, then please keep this to yourself. Julian, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me today. It's an absolute uh, privilege to me because, as I've said to you, and I hope people know that this isn't bullshit, <laughs> I consume a lot of your product. I think it was built perfectly for somebody like me who's time poor, um, wants something that tastes good and wants to also maintain their health while they're traveling and busy and thinking about a lot of other things. So I guess the first thing I have to say is thank you for creating Huel. Uh, and secondly, can you give me a little bit of a brief intro as to how Huel came about, but also you came, how you came about as the entrepreneur you are today? Uh, how I came about as an entrepreneur, I think it was really a, a, a needs must situation mm -hmm. that uh, I'd been, uh, I was 37 and working in London, mm -hmm. three hours of commute each way, uh, leaving the house at sort of half six in the morning, getting home at half six at night. It was a long old day and me and my wife were trying to have a, a baby and we'd had a few uh, miscarriages. And so I wanted to be working from home. So... Um, Aylesbury is not the hotbed of uh, great places to work. <laughs> so I was uh, head of marketing for a, a company in London. There was no alternative. And luckily, I bumped into some guys doing some affiliate marketing. Right. They were earning some mega money and uh, working from home in their PJs. And I was thinking, hold on a minute, this seems pretty clever. Um, they were like me. You know, they're normal guys. I don't think I'm particularly uh, outstanding at anything in particular. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, wow, if they can do this, why can't I do this? So I just spent the next year practicing learning in my bedroom of how to do this sort of stuff. And uh, and then uh, after about a year of earning a little bit of money on the side, mm -hmm. I thought I could do this. I said to my wife, right, uh, give me six months. We've got enough money in the bank. I'm going to start. So I started a, a company three months later. I was earning more money than I was as a full-time job. And then three years later, I sold that business. 
And that was a, an affiliate marketing business? Correct, yeah. So was that your first sort of foray into being an entrepreneur? Yeah, apart from my mum found a photo of me when I was eight selling her plants on a stall out the front oh, of the garden. Really? So when I was eight, I did. And then the, the gap was nearly 30 plus years mm-hmm. until I did anything real. But uh, yeah, I probably would still be in that corporate job if that, that hadn't have happened. Because, you know, when, you, when you, I was earning decent money, I suppose, as a corporate person. But I never really thought, because I didn't have any... I don't know, role models or anybody else that I knew that had run their own business and been successful. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, went the sort of corporate route after leaving university. So I must have had a little bit of an entrepreneurial bug, but it wasn't, it wasn't obvious until that point. Were you, were you studious? Were you good in school when you were younger? I left school at 16 with pretty poor GCSEs, to be honest. How I poor? Went pretty poor in the sense of I got two E's at English. Right, okay. Can't spell like I think we had a little chat earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not very good at spelling. Same. Uh, I think I got... Uh, a couple of C's and maybe one B, something like that. Pretty, pretty poor GCSEs. And so I left school at 16. So no, at my, the school I went to, there was, uh, I don't think the teachers wanted to be there and the kids certainly <laughs> didn't want to be there. So there was not a lot of uh, ambition. I didn't know anybody who went to university, didn't know anybody who did A-levels. So I just left and got a job like everybody else. And it was only th- few, three years later, one of my girlfriends said, what are you doing? I was digging holes in the road for two years. That's what I was doing, I was working, digging holes. And... Um, she said, what are you doing? You're too bright to do this. So at that point, that's when I went back to college. And then, so you start this uh, affiliate marketing business, you sell it. Yep. How old are you when you sold it? Uh, 40 years old. 40. And so how quickly after selling that business did Huel begin? Uh, probably nearly two years later. Two years later. And tell me about how that came about. So I took a, a bit of time off. Luckily, we did have a child. And, um, you know, so I... I had no reason to work. I had enough money to survive on and to, to live on. So mm-hmm. I had no uh, reason to work. So I, I took a good year out, if not longer. But then you get itchy feet. You can't like sit at home. I think you've got to have a work-life balance works both ways. Like people usually work too much. They need to have more free time. But when you've got 100% free time, mm-hmm. you need a little bit of work in there. So I wanted to find something that I was going to be passionate about, I was going to be proud of, something that keep me busy three days a week. Because the first company I I, I I uh, built and sold, I wasn't really proud of it. You know, you wouldn't want to go down a pub and talk about it with your mates. It was something that generated cash, but it wasn't something you would be proud of to wear the T-shirt sort of thing. So I wanted something I was going to be into, proud of, something that was going to be beneficial to the world. So I I started another company called Body Hack and uh, Huel span out of that. And so why why did Julian make Huel? Why why are, you know, why Huel? You could have made any business. You could have done marketing. You could have done anything. Why heal? Because the, the thing that interested me, when I sort of sat down, I thought, what am I actually interested in? I was always interested in sort of health and fitness stuff, sort of well-being. And um, so the Body Hack company was a uh, was trying to get rid of all the sort of dubious websites out there that are giving fake information. What I was going to try and do is run every single, pe- you know, all different uh, meal plans, all different exercise programs to see which ones work. Take photographs every week. After three months, you would see which ones actually generated Great. a result. And so I did that for three months and I was, um, went down from 21% body fat down to 11% body fat. I was 40, 41 years old. So it's the leanest I'd ever been. And uh, that was because I was weighing all of my food from scratch. So it was crystal clear that what you eat is super important. It's more important than going to the gym, really. So I was doing three hours of exercise, but it was the, I'd done that for 10 years previous and I hadn't got the same results. So it's the food you eat is super important. And uh, so my friend said, how did you do that? And I told them, and they said, how the fuck am I going to eat uh, an egg at 11 o'clock with broccoli and, uh, and uh, you know, cook an egg, mm. and then at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, going to cook 200 grams of 
turkey and quinoa and uh, baby spinach and they just said it's not practical you, you know you're living in cloud cuckoo land so it made me think right so people want to eat healthy food but they need it convenient and typically it doesn't work that way usually healthy food is time consuming to prep and uh and then convenience food is just junk food it's not good for you so where's the healthy convenience food out there mm-hmm. so i was using protein shakes protein shakes super convenient but you can't live off protein alone so they're no good either so it made me think why, why don't we could put all the stuff into one single product so i found james collier who's our co-founder james collier put a, a formula together which is pretty much what it is today mm-hmm. and then made made us think well what was all the other benefits of it because when it's powder it's got a 12 month shelf life so it's better for the world in the sense of um, there's no food waste. Mm-hmm. 30% of food is all thrown away because it gets bruised or its shelf life expires. Well, you can't bruise powder, so that's really good. You can put all these meals into a single bag, so it's super convenient. It's got all the nutrients in a single product, and then we can make it vegan as well because if you can't see it, it doesn't really matter whether it's a meat product or whether it's a vegetable product. You know, you've just you know blended all these, these products down. So it, it just ticked so many boxes. It's time you think, shit, this is like better for the world. It's better for the person using it. It's, it's more cost-effective than most foods that people consume in today. It's more convenient, win, uh, win, 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 win. So it made mm-hmm. us think, right, that, that's got some legs to it. And then the next job was to come up with a brand, come up with a name, get the product made, get it to market. Of all of that process you've just described, what part of it were you uniquely good at? And I can ask this question in another way. When I meet entrepreneurs, I always think um, there's like one defining thing that made them succeed versus probably everybody else who would have had that same thought and would have um, even maybe had the same idea. But within the execution, there's something within the founder or CEO, whether it's, you know, Bernard Gymshark or... Um, other CEOs that I've spoken to that is kind of unique to them and their experience and and often unique to how they see the world? Um, Possibly, I'm not sure exactly whether it's one particular thing. I think I've got a good design aesthetic. I think I sort of, I'm not a great designer. I can't design, but I think I know something looks good Mm -hmm. or doesn't look good. So I think that has been beneficial. I think the fact that I'd already made my money Mm -hmm. meant that I could make something that uh, in lots of cases, we overspect it. You know, we spent more time or spent more effort or money on something, whereas I could have done a lot cheaper version. I think sometimes that's the problem. These types of products in the past, people have cut corners in a bad way. Mm-hmm. They've not used the best ingredients. They've not packaged it in the best way. They've not cared as much as what I did because I only did it. I didn't do it to make money because I already made my money, so I didn't need that. I did something that I generally wanted, and the objective was to do something I was proud of, and the size of the business was irrelevant. Sometimes by chasing after numbers, I think that is the that means that you never get the numbers. Sure. But by not trying, you get there. It's a little bit mm-hmm. trying trying to get up, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, if you try too hard, it's you get it the results, feels yeah. yeah, you don't get the results. I think it's it's the fact that we didn't try too hard. We just I my original objective was three days a week work and to have a, a thousand people buying it a month. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be a lifestyle business. That was that's what the objective was, and something that I would I would use personally and something that I would be proud of wearing a t-shirt down down the pub with my friends mm-hmm. and they may do it. And I was talking to several days, I went down the pub the other day and there were all four of us that we went down the pub was all wearing one part really? of your uh, <laughs> clothing because they're sort of proud to be associated with the brand as well. So that I think that aspect of already have made the money meant that this time I could do it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't always thinking about cutting corners or saving money. It's all about how do I... Um, make something that is good, you know, a quality product. You did it for the right reasons. Exactly. Ultimately. There's something yeah. about that I've noticed about entrepreneurs where where they are willing to do something 
even if it's unpaid for the next five years because it's coming from a genuine place. And those are the entrepreneurs. Same with uh, with with Bennett Gymshark. Now that, that I've mentioned him, that over time, especially in the macro, with a macro perspective, seem to create things that the people love, but also they're able to weather the storms that come along with the way because most people would quit upon getting the first piece of bad news or hitting yeah. the first wall, but that passion and that desire to do it for the right reasons, I think it, it keeps them going. And on that, I guess, to that point, jumping ahead a little bit, I think generally there's a perception that entrepreneurship is easy. And, so, and someone might listen to you know, that story, they might see the timeline that you've achieved your success on and what you've created there and think, oh, I could do that as well. It's very, very easy. And I think we, as entrepreneurs, have a responsibility to give them the full picture yeah. um, because there's not, not a lot of places, certainly not Instagram, where they're getting the full picture. So can you talk to me about some of the sacrifices and some of the, the hardships of that, that went into creating this that people wouldn't know? Okay, so sacrifices. I didn't um, I didn't pay myself for three years. You mentioned that. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, what's the point of paying myself? It's going to come out of the company pocket. Uh, I think, you know, probably the first 18 months, I was totally immersed in the company, obsessed, didn't do anything else really. You know, I did go out, but, you know, you, you, the hours you put in are ridiculous. So every, it was seven days a week for probably the first 18 months. Not f- full blast, but I would say that what was happening was I'd do a full day's work, come home, have, have some uh, dinner, and then go back on the computer. I used to do all the Facebook answers, used to do all the, uh, some of the customer service. But I would do some of that every evening and weekends uh, for, yeah, probably a good 18 months and uh, didn't pay myself at the same time. Mm-hmm. Probably made myself ill as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, you just, uh, you, you, you sometimes burn the candle at both ends a little bit too much mm-hmm. and you just try and get through these these, these times. Um, me and my wife split up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that partly was down to that. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's not as easy as you think. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think sometimes people think it's too hard and don't start. And I just think you should, mm-hmm. I think people should have a, a go at it. I don't think that I'm um, wildly different from the next, you know, the next person. Mm-hmm. And so I think that a lot of people think it's too hard and they shouldn't do it. And I think some people should have a crack at it earlier than what they do. Looking back, I do think that I, I waited too long. I was 30, 37, 36, 37 when I first started. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, I don't know when you started, but you're, you're super young, right? So you, you've, you've done it. So uh, you didn't, you know, you said earlier about, uh, I don't know about your education, but you didn't come from money. You didn't come from a super high level of education, same as me. And we've both managed to make things successful. Mm-hmm. So it's just grit and contem- uh, determination. The, the cost you spoke about there, though, you know, I've, I've experienced that myself. You know, I, I, I try, I've really never had a girlfriend. I tried for a year <laughs> and that went to shit <laughs> because again, you know, irrespective of how many hours I spend in the office, yeah. I spend all of my time in my head. <laughs> yeah. If you know what I mean? Thinking, yeah, yeah. thinking about things and that can, I think, make people that try and be in a relationship with me feel very lonely, even if they're sat next to me. Yeah. And I've never been particularly good at compromise. I've been very, very selfish over the years. And so when, what you speak about there with your with your partner, with your ex-wife, yep. is that something that, what advice would you give to 18-year-old Steve, who's, who's uh, someone like you that's thinking of starting their business, um, about the impacts that it can have on r- romantic relationships? Um, I think that, there's probably no way around it that if if you've got it in you that you want to do something then sometimes things do have to uh change and if you if you deny yourself 
starting something or doing something because you really want to, then it still might have that knock-on effect anyway because you won't be happy with yourself, I don't think. Mm-hmm. If you're driven in a certain way, you just can't help it, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So uh, the good news is is that it doesn't last forever. Mm-hmm. So while you're in a, a obsessed stage, getting something going because it has to, you know, it's a flywheel, it's a, it's a snowball, it has to get going that eventually, so I'm back down to say maybe four days a week now mm-hmm. and I'm able to do sort of podcasts rather than mm-hmm. normally this would have been, no, I can't do sure. this, I've got I've got work to do. Whereas I can I can now do these 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 extra things that are still useful for the business, but at the time you know you're, it's it's uh, life or death in the early days of a business. You know if you if something's not done today, the business could fail tomorrow. So in the early days, you do have to commit. You do have to say suck it up and go. It could be could be eighteen months. It could be two years. It could be three years. But there has to be a time in your life when I think you just grit your teeth, get it done, and then you can look back. And how do you how do you know? Because there'll be a lot of people that will start businesses and they'll get two years in and nothing's working. Yeah. And you know they've sacrificed their relationships. Right, yeah. their, their, they've sacrificed their time. They probably have made themselves ill to some extent. Yeah. How do you know when to to quit, to throw in the towel, or to carry on going? I guess this is a tough question. <laughs> yeah, I think I don't think there's any right answer. But I've I've had three main businesses, and those three, two of them went almost straight away that as soon as we launched it was there was instant results the other one it was it was it was lukewarm and I think that might be the signal that if you're say two years in and it's still lukewarm that ain't gonna ever gonna come good I don't think Mm -hmm. obviously there are exceptions to that where people have chugged along very slowly for a number of years and suddenly it's exploded Mm -hmm. I think I think there's so many opportunities now. There's so many different ways to get the ball rolling. You should be able to get a minimal viable product out the door pretty quick. Mm. And then you should see if there's no demand, you shouldn't have to chase a demand. I mean, in the early days, we couldn't keep up with the demand. You know, it struggled to keep up. And I think uh, my first business, it just took off straight away. Like I said, within three months, I was earning more money than my objective was. Mm -hmm. So both of those took off within the first few months. You knew pretty quick. You know, there is a long run up to get sometimes the launch stage. But I think if you can think of ways you can try and get some early adoption, then that should give you enough feedback or nice uh, enough inspiration to keep going. Mm-hmm. But if that is hard graft, you not people are not that interested. Maybe it's not the right idea. It's not the, not the right thing. Mm-hmm. So going back to the question I asked a second ago as well, um, what's in the last couple of years? Is is there a particular day or moment that you would consider to be your hardest? Um, there's probably a couple. Uh, I think every every day is pretty hard, right? uh, Don't get me wrong. Like every day there's problems. We just been talking about some problems in the building today. Mm -hmm. So every day can be pretty hard. Uh, There are some real um, crunch ones. So, you know, even pre-launch, we had a product, we had a company that strung us along for a number of months that had promised to make the product and strung us along, strung us along. Or when I say us, it's basically me Mm -hmm. and then let me down. And that was, that was probably a year in pre-launch. You know, that took me a year to get to that stage. So at that point, I... I, I sort of said I'm done, mm. um, but the following day got out of bed and went, why, why should I give up just because of that one person let me down? There must be other people out there that could do it. So just why not just keep going? So that's that was one. And then another one was just sometimes you get a lot of criticism on um, social media, which I'm sure you're probably aware of, and it's stupidly unjustified yeah but it does get to you and you just think why are you even you know like we're we're an ethical company we're trying our best to do the right thing so when people criticize you when you think there's all these other dodgy companies out there doing bad stuff why are you picking on us you know why are you having to go us and that can be that can be soul destroying how do you how have you have you learned how to deal with that ignore it i think uh in the early days i used to really go backwards and forwards with people trying to change their mind 
and uh, never works. I've, <laughs> I've read somewhere. I have done it a couple of times. I have, <laughs> I have managed to persuade a few, but I did read somewhere. They said, like, give your answer back to somebody and that's it. That's it. No more. You just give one answer back. So you give your side of the story. They come mm-hmm. with you with criticism. You, you tell your side back. And uh, one thing quite often I, I use to, to kill critics too much is, is uh, there's a quote from Ratatouille, believe it or not, the <laughs> Anton Egon quote. If you cut that and paste that uh, and send that back to somebody, which basically says, you know, critics are worthless. They add nothing to the society. That's basically what the quote says. Mm-hmm. They, I don't think anybody's ever come back after that and, and actually come back and uh, had an argument back. <laughs> I'll send you the quote. You can use it. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I, um, I'm the same, obviously. I think, I think all business owners are the same. If you really care about your business and you, you know that the things being said about your business and your life's work are fundamentally incorrect, not even you know, someone else's opinion. Fundamentally, that didn't happen or that doesn't happen. It can be one of the most triggering things, <laughs> even it for me today. Up, yeah. Yeah, it really winds sure. up, can ruin your day, yeah. right? Um, especially if then a bunch of other people jump on and believe that fundamentally incorrect thing and yeah. then it becomes part of your brand. Yeah. I've I've struggled with that over the years um, with, with social media and I've just, I've arrived at the the d- decision that I will, I will in some cases re- reply empathetically um, but if I, if I don't feel like I can reply empathetically, I won't reply at all. Yeah, I think that's the best approach. So, uh, yeah. can you tell me something that you've you've learned from building Huel and being an entrepreneur that you think most aspiring entrepreneurs have absolutely no idea about, or that I, is not told? I mean, there's so much basic stuff behind the scenes, like coming up with a brand, coming up with an idea. You know, you read so much advice on how to do those types of things, how to do performance marketing. There's so mm-hmm. much advice on that. But there's the, the, the basic stuff behind the scene, just doing purchase orders, just mm-hmm. doing the real simple stuff, how to find an office, how to um, recruit staff, all the real basic stuff you don't really hear about because it's not the sexy side of it. Mm-hmm. And I think those sorts of things, you just... I mean, you have to make it up as you go. Um, but I think that was one thing that was surprising to me because my first business was easy in comparison, mm-hmm. that uh, there was no product, there was no um, uh, customer service, there was no fulfillment, none of those types of things. Whereas with your physical product, yeah, is hard, much, mm-hmm. much, much harder than doing uh, online stuff. Sure. So my background was digital marketing. And so creating the website, creating the name, it was all difficult, but it was much easier than actually getting a physical product. And then actually getting that product to market, then getting the fulfillment, you know, picking the cardboard boxes, learning how to tape a cardboard box up, mm-hmm. you know, all these really sort of basic stuff you're just not even aware of. So there's, there's absolutely thousands of things like that that you just are not aware of until you start. And there's no one to even tell you how to do it because it's not the sexy stuff. So nobody's really telling you how to do it. One of the questions that I think is most popular when I look at my inboxes from young entrepreneurs is a very sort of ambiguous question, but it's just, um, where do I start, right? Because there's typically so many things that one could be doing that um, I think entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs are sometimes forced into like, um, they almost paralyze themselves because they look at all that, you know, I've got to do this, this, this. Yeah. So what would your advice be to, to an, uh, an entrepreneur that's listening that thinks, I want to start a business, but I'm just overwhelmed by the amount of things that I think I need to do? I would, in terms of the idea, I would always try and look for something. I think Huel was a a, a a product that I wanted. It was a an issue that I had. I wanted convenience, healthy food, right? So that's, and that's what my friends wanted. So I had the perfect 
audience because if you are your own customer, mm-hmm. then you will use your own product. And if it pisses you off, then you can fix it. Whereas if you're trying to make, if I'm trying to make, I don't know, um, a product for uh, some different type of person, I'm trying to guess all the time what they actually want. Whereas if I make it for myself and my immediate friends, then I've got the perfect feedback loop. I just keep using it every day. And then that bit bugs me. Then I'll fix that. Then I, this bit bugs me. Then I'll fix that. So I think being... Fixing a problem you personally got or people very close to you have got mm-hmm. means that you will be able to get to the, the best product very, very quickly. And obviously, you know, when, when you um, have the success like you've had with your, your previous business in marketing and then obviously Huel, a lot of things can change in your life personally. Yep. And one of those things is obviously money. Yeah, which is a a clear upside of building a business and being successful and selling it, as as we as we would know. What impact has money and having money had on your life, going from where you were digging, you know, holes in the road to now? Uh, in some ways, it sounds a bit strange, but maybe not that much. I still live on the same estate. I live in a bigger house, but it's the same estate. Mm. Uh, I still go to my same local pub with the same friends. Um, I still live in the same town. Um, I drive a nicer car. Mm-hmm. Um, what car? <laughs> <laughs> I was it, it's a seven series BMW. So okay, it's a nicer nice. car than I had before. I go on nicer holidays. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we first sold my first business, we, we bought a house on the coast, which was very nice, but we didn't use it enough. So we sold it and, and got a lot of money in the bank. So I can do whatever I like whenever I like. I don't buy expensive. I've got a plastic digital watch on here. Mm-hmm. So I don't really go and buy the, the, the crazy expensive stuff because, um, you know, as long as you're financially secure, I think spending, you know, I've, basically I suppose I've been brought up a bit tight, you know, like, uh, you know, you, 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 you don't spend wildly. So I think in terms of... Um, but in ha- terms of happiness? and yeah, of, I think... Has it made you happier? Um... Yeah, I suppose it has. You, you you don't have to worry about money. You know, you I don't spend recklessly, but I do take, you know, I take uh, lads on holiday. You know, I'm going, you know, my 10 of us going to um, Spain later on this year. So I'm paying for the uh, hotels. I've taken people to Vegas to watch UFC fights. Um, so I've tried and do all around experiences rather than um, buying gold watches or something like that. Mm-hmm. So those those times are really good. You know, so you remember those days. So I suppose it makes you happy because of those. But on a day-to-day, fundamentally day-to-day basis, um, if you was 10 times smaller than what it is today, I'd be just as happy. Mm. So a young person that's listening to this um, that is wondering if money... Because it's one of the lessons that I learned. I thought for some bizarre reason that money would scale my happiness to some extent, but I was content and happy at the time. Yeah. But I just presumed uh, probably because lots of the unhappiness in my life growing up was my mum and dad screaming at each other because they can, you know, yeah. afford things. I presumed it would scale my happiness, but um, upon making a decent amount of money, I realized that adding more money to that would have very little effect. But what I liked, really liked about your answer is that realization that the happiness will come from experiences with like meaningful relationships and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Versus cars and watches and stuff. Yeah, I think uh, you, you, if it's a new experience, it's a new experience. Whereas with cars, I think I think somebody said it quite wisely, that once you bought one, you get you get used to anything. So that's the new norm for you. So then you, you have to then, where do you go? Then you go to more expensive car, new more expensive mm-hmm. car. What, what do you do? Never At some ending. point, yeah, never ended. Mm. So I think that by doing new novel things, like going to new places, like we went to the Grand National this, this year, took some lads up there and we, we stayed you know went nice places and, mm-hmm. you know it was it was good so those sorts of things i think are the the best thing that has come out of this 
Um, you know, we gave some of our friends and family some money as well, which helped them out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in general, yeah, the 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 gold watches are not the not the thing you are that do it for me. Mm-hmm. One of the big things in our sort of uh, society at the moment is the topic of mental health. Yeah, and founders and entrepreneurs um, go through very sort of high pressure. Um, I guess, high-pressure journeys in order to try and achieve this objective. Um, I've got so many questions here. How how do you protect your own mental health? And um, what have you learned over the, the last couple of years about keeping your sort of mental well-being in check? I think that uh, uh, I, because of keeping my friends close, I think those are useful. Um, I think if you... I think sometimes people might drop their friends, move out. Cause like we, we talked about spending money on a big house, but basically a big house has got to be out in the countryside, which basically you're removing yourself from your social circle. It seems a little bit strange in some ways to actually become more detached. Mm. So I've deliberately not done that. That's why I still live on the same estate with the same friends. So I think that's, that's a good thing. Don't just, you know, forget where you came from and just move on to bigger and better things. So, um, you know, he was talking earlier about... Um, Ash, you know, like you're still friends with this guy that you yeah. first started off with. Mm. So I think it's good to, to have long-term friends. I think that's a, that's a fundamental. Um, and I think in terms of the last few years, if you go too mad in terms of hours, it's going gonna, it's gonna to catch up with you eventually. So you, you will get yourself burned out if you're not careful. I'm a lot older than you, mm. so I'm probably going to get burned out easier. You could probably go harder than what I can for longer. But you do need to take into account that uh, when you see it coming, you've got to try and take the foot off the accelerator a little bit. But, you know, ultimately, somebody asked me a question uh, at a place the other day, you know, there is no way around it. You're going to have to put the graft in. Mm. You're going to have to put the hours in. It's going to have to be for a, a sustained period of time to make these things work. Mm-hmm. But try and keep an eye on yourself because if you start... I don't know, I probably started going out too much, you know, like in the evenings really? trying to make up for, because um, you think it's like a reward mechanism, I suppose. You think, I've put all these hours in, what am I getting back out of it? I'm not just going to sit at home. So I probably burnt the candle at both ends, went out a bit too much, and midweek, weekends, and you just think, yeah, you can do it, you're indestructible, you keep going, but eventually it will catch up with you if you're not careful. Did it catch up with you? Yeah, yeah. And what were the, what were the symptoms of that? I'm asking for myself here because <laughs> because do you know what what you said that is very accurate. I at one stage thought I was indestructible. Right. When I was like 18, 19, I thought right. I can just I don't need sleep. Don't I don't need sleep, to speak yeah. to a human being. Yeah. Yeah. I can just hammer it when and then you know I'd look at other people and think like ha ha ha. Yeah. yeah. And then people would say to me all the time, "You're going to burn yourself out," and yeah. I never believed. I never believed it. either until I started to um, get super tired right so I just thought oh my god you know like there was when I I tell you what the, the signal was when I stopped going to work there was a couple of times when I just I'd get up in the morning get on the sofa and didn't go in and that was not me so yeah and then like uh stop going to the gym and stuff like that and just like going to the gym used to look forward to it because it gives you a bit of a lift a bit of a buzz and uh and then I go to the gym and I dread going because I know I'm going to be even more tired when I come out of it and it wouldn't do that. And so I think uh, I went and saw a doctor. A doctor said um, chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the, the obviously the problem with that is it's not clearly defined as being an actual thing. So there's no clearly defined sort of um, medication. Mm-hmm. She basically said, like, you need to change your, you know, like sleep patterns and stuff like that and sort yourself out. 
take some time off. I said, I can't take too much time off of stuff to do. Mm-hmm. So it was just a case of, uh, and this was probably 18 months, two years ago. So I think I'm sort of back to normal now, but it does take a long time. And some of those days were like, yeah, you're just, you're just fucked in terms of, you know, your ability to, to get stuff done. So luckily the team's a lot bigger now. So we've brought people in. I gave up the CEO role. And so th- all those things have contributed to, to, to put me back on an even keel. Um, chronic fatigue, fatigue syndrome. Yeah. What did he dis- what, what did he say? The doctor say about that? Sounds like something that I, I, I need to do my very best to avoid. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, I think that uh, some people, there is no, I don't think it's even a clear, I think it's one of these one really quite a woolly ones. People say it's not even a, a thing. But for me, it was like very clear that I was not the same as what I was previously. And uh, so, yeah, I think it probably was burning the candle at both ends. And, you know, like I'd go, I'd do a day's work, go out in the evening, get up in the morning, go to the gym, do a hard session, go to work, do it again. And like, that Mm. was a bit too extreme because of this sort of feeling like I could do anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually that does catch up with you. But I think it's just, you've just trying, in the early days of a startup, it's a sprint for sure. You could die the following day, basically. If, If the company, if you don't do certain work, the company could fail. So you are scared of failure in terms of this baby you've created, it needs nurturing. You know, you've got to try and nurture that baby as best as you can. And if you don't feed that baby that second, it could die. So you you keep you keep feeding, and then eventually the the baby becomes a, a toddler, and it's more self sufficient. And I think that at that stage, you can take the foot off the accelerator, and that you need to try and get to that point um, and notice that point, and then do take your foot off the accelerator because if you try and keep going full pace, full pace, it turns from a, a sprint to a marathon. Mm-hmm. So we're in that sort of marathon stage now. We sort of can see the future of being. I've got this. You know, it's not it's not another year's time. It's another three or four years time. And if you're at full pace for another three or four years, you're really going to struggle. And it's I guess it's about trying to make your life a little bit more balanced and sustainable, which yes. is what I'm thinking a lot about at the moment. Yes. Someone asked me the other day. They said, "What's uh, what's your goal for the for the next couple of years?" And I said, um, "To try and achieve more balance and sustainability within my life, because I've heard from enough people like yourself who who are um, much more experienced than I am that um, if I don't, then it will actually be detrimental to my business in the long term. Yep. Versus me thinking that I can just." sacrifice everything you know yeah and I've not been very good either at um uh, maintaining personal relationships but also romantic relationships as I said um and I I have this this inclination that I'll probably (laughs) I'll probably get old and be lonely if I don't do something about that quite quickly (laughs) you've got you've got lots of time ahead of you but I think there is a there is a strong argument to to you know you've got a successful business now it seems pretty solid to me Mm -hmm. you know you've got some good people Mm -hmm. you've got two big teams you've got you know New York and uh and Manchester so yeah you probably could take a little bit more time to get that balance right and uh if you think about well we went to fast track the other day and Richard Branson came up on the screen and did a a little talk and uh you know he's I think he's 68 years old now, and but he's still got his fingers in lots of pies mm-hmm. and he could be burning himself out, but I think he lives on Necker Island. So he gets up in the morning, goes kite surfing, but he's still involved in his businesses. But one of the other guys there, uh, I can't remember what he was, the MD of Virgin or something like that. He said that one of the, the, the good things about Richard is he doesn't get involved in the detail. So when he comes into meeting, doesn't know the details, you can take that overview um, of the whole business and you can see stuff that the other people that are in the, the day-to-day they can't see. So he's, he's more visionary. He can see the high level, mm. but that works for him because then he doesn't need to know the detail. So it's sort of maybe that's what you could be good at or what I should do more of is just don't do the job, mm. but 
be the sort of visionary or the the overview of the whole thing Mm -hmm. and that allows you to put less hours in because you've got a whole team to execute for you but you still steer the ship so you see the overview and that means you could spend less time doing the the nitty-gritty you know i i completely agree and i i i um saw that you had relinquished the the title of CEO of the company. And I think that the reasons for you doing that were 100% admirable and showed a tremendous amount of self-awareness. But so many people, probably myself included, have an ego, right? Yeah. Like, let's just be honest. (laughs) And there's something that comes with the title of CEO that I think a lot of people would be attached to. Now, you, and I've mentioned him a few times now, but Ben at Gymshark have both made that decision. And I really wanted to understand... um, why you made that decision yep. um, and to kind of understand if it's the best decision for me as well because <laughs> <laughs> well the, the, I'm not saying anybody can be, but there's lots of CEOs so if you take a big successful company over the years they have lots of CEOs they can only ever have one founder mm-hmm. so you're never going to lose that so don't worry about the ego side of it because mm-hmm. you're still always going to be the founder of social chain right so mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about that that's that's can't change it's impossible mm-hmm. to change nobody can come and do that but the CEO role is it's hard, you know, it's a lot of hours and and um, and it's very broad. So if you, it, what I saw was that my skill set is not, is not HR, it's not operations, it's not finance, it's not new product development, it's not people skills, you know, it's that is those, but that's what CEO needs to be good at all those little things. And I felt that I was very average at all of those, but I'm very good at brand and marketing. So why am I, do, why am I, it's, it's just a bad use of, um, time for me to get involved in. I mean, some of the discussions the CEO has to get involved in were just very dull in my eyes. It just didn't. It wasn't the stuff that I think I was could add value to. I don't think I was particularly good at, and uh, I didn't find that interesting. So I decided to bring somebody in who was better at that than me. So James McMaster's came in. He's done an excellent job, and so that allowed me to do what I thought I was good at which is the brand and marketing and the beauty of brand and marketing, it still can have input into all those other areas because if a, if the operations are not right, the delivery is not on time or the, the product's not right, then I still can, I say that's affecting the customer, fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, what what's wrong with that? What, you know, I still have input. It's not like I'm sort of sidelined. Sure. Um, and I think um, Ben took the role of brand something like cre- or other. Creative something, yeah. Yeah, so it's still got an overview of, of what the customer sees. And I think that, you know, the rest of it is, uh, the, the nuts and bolts, but really that's what the customer sees is the key stuff. And so as long as you keep a handle on the overall brand and the way people see the company, how it actually gets executed can be passed over to a, a big, broad team that can make that happen. It's probably probably the case that the majority of founders should probably not be the CEO. No, I, probably, I agree. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do agree. Like, yeah. Because you have the vision and you have the the understanding from day one, which is no one will ever be able to replicate, no matter how hard they try, they can create something different from yep. the base you've built, but they'll never be able to make your heel, right? Yep. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're the best with operations and finance. Like I'm not, I'm yep. definitely not. And <laughs> I've, I've managed to put a lot of people around me that are much better than me at most things. So my next question is, um, what, what do you regret not starting sooner. Really? Yeah, I think so. I think looking back, I mean, I, in some ways I never regret anything because the, where I am today, I might have, if I'd started sooner, I might have failed because I didn't have the same amount of experience or wasn't the same level of motivation or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I might have given up. So I might not be here today. I always think that 
you know, there's all little changes throughout your life and they're all possibly for a reason as you go through, you pick up stuff as you go. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm here, I'm in a place where I want to be. So maybe it, is, it was the, exactly the right way to do it. But yeah, if I was looking back, you'd probably say, well, started sooner. Mm-hmm. You started way younger. Oh, I feel very old. <laughs> <laughs> Random question. Yeah. Are you scared of dying? Uh, no. Why? Because I don't think I'm going to ever die. It's a bit silly. I just don't. I just it seems so far you. away. <laughs> it seems so far away that I don't even think about it. No, I'm definitely not scared. I've, I think I've had a, a full life. I think I've um, done most things that I wanted to do. So no. What are you scared of? Um, spiders. Is that it? Yeah, I don't like spiders. You're not uh, scared of the the business falling into the ground and no, all going wrong. No, like like I said, I think even if even if you was the size of this room, mm-hmm. um, and we had three staff and had the products we had today, I'd still be happy. Something that I I like. Uh, I think we've done a good job. I think it looks good. I think it's a good product. Does good for the world. So, yeah, even if you know, even if we go back to the the thousand true fans that I originally chased after mm-hmm. and tried to make happier, I think if we still had those, still got the same level of engagement, I'd be happy. What um what advice would you give me about um that relationship issue I described, and have you managed to to find the, the answers in your own life? Um, relationship issues. I'm Romantic not sure. I'm not sure I'm the right man to oh, give really? those. I'm okay. not sure. I think. Um, I think there's. Uh, you just got to do. I think. Don't try and please other people. There's so many people out in the world. Somebody's going to be exactly right for everybody out there. So just do. Just decide what you want. And if somebody doesn't fit in with that, then they're not quite right. No and compromise. No compromise. Really? Think. Yeah, I don't think so. I think. Uh, um, yeah, relationships are hard. Long-term relationships are super hard. Marriages are super hard. Um, you know, you're making a commitment to somebody who may change and you may change and you've made a commitment. It seems a bit strange way to do it. I've never made a commitment to my friends and we're friends 30 years later. They know that if they're a dick, I'm not going to be friends with them. And if I'm a dick, they won't be friends yeah. with me. So just, it's an unwritten rule. Just be nice to each other. And uh, we're still friends 30 years later. So there's no pressure that way. And... Uh, those relationships are the most longest-standing relationships I've, I've got. So something in friendship, that's there's an extra pressure in relationships, which are not the same. Do you think that's something to do with the ring and the signing, <laughs> signing the contract? Possibly, yeah, exactly. So I think uh, I think relationships are uh, put extra pressure on each other. That sometimes you need space. You need you know, like friends don't live with me. They're not on my case all the time. And um, I think there's something there that's um, yeah, friend friendships, you know, guy friendships that I've got, they're they're the best relationships I've got. There's something there's got to <clears> be something there. There's the the important stuff you're talking about, you know, friends you've got. And uh yeah, the the, the remote romantic ones are sometimes extra complicated for arguably no reason. Why not just be nice to each other and we'll still be you know, romantically involved years later. Who needs marriage? Yeah, who needs marriage? Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think I don't think I'd ever do that again. Really? He's, he's, can I ask, are you single? Uh, no, I'm not single. Okay, interesting. I'm, 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 it's one of the things I'm most interested in at the moment because it's something I'm trying to fix in my own life. <laughs> yeah. And I've like failed repeatedly. So, and I don't really believe in marriage. I don't believe in marriage. I so, think, I think <sighs> it's illogical to make a commitment to somebody for something that you're saying, you know, through thick and thin and forevermore, mm. but you don't know how that person's going to change. I think, I think, yeah. Me and you say we're going to be friends. Mm-hmm. You don't need what, to sign a contract. What, you don't need to do anything. Why? Religion and the law yeah, you know that if, if I do something wrong, 
We're not friends yeah. anymore. You know, why, why does it need to be any more complicated than that? Just treat each other as you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Be nice. Don't be a dick. It doesn't, mm-hmm. It's not difficult. What's success for you? Uh, success, um, I think uh, a community of people has been really something that I've sort of, when you see our hooligans on social media sharing the product, I think that's been heartwarming and does uh, indicate how well we've done. Mm-hmm. Clearly numbers are some sort of crude measure of success. Um but yeah, I think being financially secure is a success as well. I think uh, f- moving forward, I, I, I'm just we're just going to keep going, doing what we we do. We've talked about exits at some point, but that, that will come. It's all it's all the product of doing the right thing. So we never, when we raised our money last year, we never went chasing after investors. Mm-hmm. It was a they came to us, they chased after us, and it's all because we just produced a good product. Customers liked it, rebought the product, and so it, it all happened. Um, so yeah that's basically how I see it my last question okay um, we're sat at this table now yep um, dinner party yep you can invite four other people to the dinner party yep and you get to decide what we all eat right they can be dead or alive <laughs> uh, okay so I think I would definitely invite you for sure. Okay. Right. I think um, I'm already there. So you four <laughs> others. Yeah, All right. Four yeah. others. Okay. So I think I listen to a lot of podcasts. Right. So probably be podcast people. Right. So I really think uh, Joe Rogan is mm-hmm. awesome. I think that he's got a very wide breadth of uh, interests and I think he's generally a decent guy. So mm-hmm. I think he'd be very interesting. Uh, Tim Ferriss, probably same mm-hmm. sort of reason. Uh, Derek Sivers, same right. sort of reason. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this one has to be uh, okay. This would be a pure entertainment one, Conor McGregor, just because <laughs> I'm into UFC, just to, just for bringing a bit of entertainment to the, the table. That would be a lively dinner party. What, yeah. would, what would they be eating? Okay, so my favorite meal. My favorite meal would probably be. Uh, mm, I think I don't know if it'd be a British Sunday dinner. Maybe just because they've maybe not tried one before. <laughs> Something like that. Is that one of your favourites? I think it is, yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for creating a product that so many people, including myself, rely on to function and to to pursue becoming the best versions of ourselves. Because I really think that that's what Huel is to me. I think it's it's an enabler um, and it's enabled me to be myself without worrying too much about my health or time um, falling at the expense of that. So... Um, thank you and thank you so much for your time today you're a real inspiration to me and what you what you've done through the product and through the business you've created I think is just brilliant and I really really mean that so thank Thank you you. thank you very much you're too kind thank you thank you you are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky. 
and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.